Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Please turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. And before we get into the scriptures, I'm going to read a poem by a poet, Francis Duggan. And it's called Death, the Great Equalizer. And as you're turning to Ecclesiastes 9, just listen to what he has to say. Some die of natural causes, some in a tragic way. But for every single one of us, a final night and day without respect for the power of wealth and without respect for fame, death, the great equalizer, treats everyone as the same. Without respect for anyone or creatures great and great or small, the billionaires of the world to the reaper's scythe do fall. At least the one who does claim every life promotes equality amongst the wealthy of the world and those in poverty. Some live on to a ripe old age and some die in their prime and some even die as children. They are not granted much time. No ageist or discriminatory and not ageist or discriminatory in any way. He claims the lives of the very young and those who are old and gray. He's a true egalitarian of him one only can say and for each and every one of us a final night and day. Solomon, many, probably many, many years, thousands of years before this was penned, comes to this same conclusion as he records his thoughts in this chapter and in various other places in the scriptures. This is not the only time Solomon touches on the subject of death. He spends several verses just throughout this book expressing his view of death and as we remember, as we're going through this study, he, does, he, does, he looks at things both from under the sun, in other words, from an earthly perspective, and also he looks at things from a godly perspective. So just keep that in mind as we go through this chapter. Um, in Ecclesiastes 9, verses 1 through 3, it says, For I considered all this in my heart, so that I could declare it all, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. People know neither love nor hatred by anything they see before them. All things come alike to all. One event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good, the clean, and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and to him who does not sacrifice. As is the good, so is the sinner. He who takes an oath as he who fears an oath. And this is evil in all that is done under the sun, that one thing happens to all. Truly, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that, they go to the dead. Did you ever notice that most people avoid talking about death? 
until and unless it's absolutely necessary. I, I've noticed that. And even when confronting death, whether it's at a funeral or, or at, by someone's deathbed, it's a very uncomfortable thing. And you may wonder why that is. You see, we were not created to die. The original creation was supposed to live in harmony with God. But what happened? Sin came in. In Romans 5.12, it says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. See, prior to Adam and Eve sinning, they were walking in perfect fellowship, perfect communion with God. But through death, through sin came death. And we all sense that something's wrong with that, don't we? We know. It just, it just doesn't feel right. But it also shows us that we're not in control of our lives. You know, if given a choice, I'm sure most people would try to prevent their death if they possibly could. But we ultimately don't have that choice. Solomon tells us, as in that poem that we read earlier, that death is the great equalizer. Because we all sin, we all die, whether good or bad. Now some may even ask, well, if death comes to all people, whether good or bad, why even bother living a godly life? And I've heard people ask that, and some people actually live that way. Well, my answer would be because we all may share the same destiny, but we all don't share the same destination. Isn't that true? This is what sets believers apart from unbelievers. Those who have placed their trust in Christ for eternal life will dwell eternally with God. Those who have rejected Christ will dwell eternally separated from God. See, death is the great equalizer. But after that, the judgment, the Bible says. In that fact alone, we see that living eternally minded will determine how we face all of life's challenges as well as life's blessings. Verse 3. Verse 3 tells us, that death also reveals what's in our hearts. Think about how people respond to a death, a death of a family member or of a friend. If we're a Christian and we know that that loved one it was also saved, we certainly respond differently, don't we, than if we're not a believer. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and 14, Paul writes, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus. The Apostle Paul tells us that as believers, we look at death differently. We'll certainly mourn the loss of our friend or relative who has died, but we don't mourn like those who have no hope. We do have a hope, amen? A hope that's based on the greatest event in all of history, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's where our hope lies. Yes, death is the great equalizer, but not equal to all who experience its effect. 
Solomon's trying to get us to see that there's something beyond this life under the sun. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing if we have that perspective. If we walk through life with a heavenly outlook. Colossians 3, 1-3 says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things on the earth. We will look at everything differently when we have a heavenly perspective. In our physical death, it doesn't negate our relationship with Jesus. But spiritually, when we die to ourselves, when we die to our self-centered wants and desires, we find our true purpose in life. And that's really the lesson for us all, the application for our lives. Moving on in Ecclesiastes verses 4-6, through But for Him who is joined to all the living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die. But the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward. For the memory of them is forgotten. Also their love, their hatred, and their envy have now perished. Nevermore will they have a share in anything done under the sun. So just to clarify here, and remember the Old Testament um, gives us kind of a, a different picture of eternal life. And uh, some of the things that we see throughout the Old Testament may give us a sense that they didn't have a full idea, understanding of what, uh, of what eternal life is all about. They didn't have a complete picture of life after death. But Solomon here isn't saying that there is no life after death. Um, he's saying that the dead can't come back and restart their life. Once they're gone, that's it. Their re- relationships, their reputation has already been established. Once a person dies, that's it. Their fate and their legacy has been sealed. So it's so important for us to live this life with a heavenly perspective, with an understanding that we have a purpose given to us by God. We have 60, 70, maybe 80 years to do that. Solomon's saying here, don't waste your opportunity running after the things of this world that don't really matter. Our heavenly rewards are those things that are earned during our life here. What we do with what God has given to us. Under the sun, we have a chance to love others to serve others, to honor God. After we're gone, so are those chances and opportunities. We don't have another chance. Live your life to the fullest, Solomon is saying. He goes on in verses 7-10, through Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already accepted your works. Let your garments always be white and let your head lack no oil. 
Live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life, which he has given, given you under the sun, all your days of vanity. For that is your portion in life and the, in the labor which you perform under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. He continues kind of with this train of thought. Remember in some previous chapters as we went through this book already in Ecclesiastes, remember Solomon was searching, was seeking, was trying to find the meaning and significance in life. And remember some of the things he tried, money, right, accomplishments, material wealth, relationships, mind-altering substances. He tried everything. But look at his growth, you know, as we see different things that he, comes, that he comes to realize. He came to realize that none of those things, none of those things would deliver what he was looking for. Now he has different goals. He's readjusted his thinking to realize that it's the simple things in life that would bring him more joy than anything else. I think for, for some of us, it takes us 40, 50, 60 years to come to that realization that it's the simple things in life. Look what he says in verse 7. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already accepted your works. First, enjoy the provision that God has given you. Don't always be seeking after that next great thing. Be content. Deep meaning, peace, significance, and contentment can all be found in what the Lord has already provided for us. And we often see those things in the simple things of life, don't we? Solomon realized it wasn't about extravagance. It didn't, that didn't equal satisfaction. In Proverbs 15, 17, he says, Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted calf with hatred. Now, understand the context. Back then, meat was very expensive and very rare. And a diet of, of bread and wine and vegetables was much more common for people. So he says here, better is a dinner of herbs or a dinner of vegetables where love is. In other words, surrounded by people who love you, relationships that are meaningful. Better is that than the fatted calf with hatred. Imagine you know, having a beautiful uh, meal but having no one to share it with. Or worse, having... Uh, you know, people who don't like one another seated at the same table with you. Imagine that. Imagine how uh, we discussed this when we went through the the Proverbs. Imagine how that would go down. It probably wouldn't. You probably wouldn't digest it very well with people like that. But just simplicity, simplicity, understanding that that's really where uh, satisfaction in life comes from. Verse 8, he goes on and says, Let your garments always be white and your head lack no oil. Righteous living, righteous living is what really brings ultimate fulfillment. The Holy Spirit working in our lives, guiding us into righteousness. 
That's what's represented there by your white garments. But he's also saying here, make every day a special day. Make every day a special day. You know, white garments were often saved for a special event. And oil was used to anoint your body with a special fragrance for a special day. But Solomon's saying, let that be your norm. Let that be your normal way of enjoying life. Not just on special occasions, not just on those rare times, but every day. Live righteous lives and enjoy those things that God has given you. He moves on in verse 9, Live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life which He has given you under the sun, all your days of vanity, for that is your portion in life and in the labor which you perform under the sun. Thirdly, here to married people, enjoy your marriage. Enjoy your marriage. God has ordained that relationship to be the closest human relationship. You remember in in Ephesians 5, Paul speaks about how that represents Christ and the church. It's, It's not only the most beautiful, physical, intimate relationship, but it's also... It has a spiritual connotation to it. And it's also the laboratory that God uses to reveal how much you love, how much you care, how much you serve someone else. Allow that to happen. Marriage is a labor of love that allows you to bless someone else on a daily basis. On a daily basis. Solomon is telling us how important it is for those who are married. Now, remember, Solomon didn't really follow his own counsel, especially in this, in this instance. He had multiple wives and mistresses, and many of them pulled him away from his relationship with God. But as a husband and wife, you're supposed to be both serving the Lord, loving God, seeking after Him together, and in, in that way, growing closer to one another. But you can see his growth here. Later in his life, he realized that one wife in a loving, faithful relationship was much more satisfying. Not only that, it was being obedient to the Lord. Verse 10, he goes on and says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. So here, lastly, Solomon realizes that hard work is not a curse, but it's a blessing from the Lord and an opportunity to be a good steward of what the Lord has provided for you and to you and the giftings and the abilities that He's given to each and every one of us. So don't take your job lightly. Be a good example to those who are around you and also to your employer. You know, Christians should be the hardest workers in their company. They really should. It says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 7-10, through 10, For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day, that we may, might not be a burden to any of you, not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. 
For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. You remember, the Apostle Paul here had the authority, but he also just be, be, to, to be an example to, the, to those others in the Christian church at the time. I know when I was working for the post office, it, until, until I got saved, <laughs> I wasn't the greatest worker. I really wasn't. I tried to, you know, beat, you know, beat around the bush, and I tried to get as long of a lunch break as I could, and you know, the typical things that that people might do. But you know, once I got saved, I had a mind. Ch- I, it didn't happen right away, but I had a change in my mindset that I was not any longer working for the post office. I was working for Jesus Christ. He was my boss, so I had a different mindset and every day I tried to do my best I tried to work hard because I wanted to be a good example to others and remember he says he says here do it with your might do it with all your might whatever you do in word or deed do it all for the glory of God the Bible says life under the sun is an opportunity for us to be a good example of a diligent worker. And as Christians, we should be that. Um, Moving on in Ecclesiastes 9, verses 11 and 12. I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill, but time and chance happen to them all. For man also does not know his time, like fish taken in a cruel net, like birds caught in a snare. So the sons of men are snared in an evil time when it falls suddenly upon them. Solomon is telling us that since death is inevitable, we'd be better off enjoying the simple things in life and being thankful for God's blessings and being good stewards of everything that we have. And with that advice, you would think that Solomon would have come to the conclusion that, listen, all things are just going to work out. They're going to work out great. But he also realizes that, and we've all realized this, we can do everything right. We can have the right motives. We can have the right attitude. We can love others. We can love God. And sometimes... Things just don't work out right for us. Basically, Solomon's saying the same thing that we've all experienced, and that is life is just unpredictable. We just don't know. And these verses kind of go to show us that. Tells us that our abilities are no guarantee of success. You know, the, for the most part, the swiftest runner will win the race and the strongest fighter will win the battle. But that's not always true. It's not always so. We've experienced that sometimes just being in the right place at the right time is the difference between winning or losing. Now some would call that luck. Some would call that chance. But we know, as Solomon has already told us, that to everything there's a time, right? We go back to 
Ecclesiastes chapter 3. God has a time for everything. A plan for everything. He's got a great plan for humanity, but He also has a, a plan and a purpose for each and every one of us individually. And we don't know what, those, what that plan is necessarily. So we step out in faith. We walk with God. We do our best to be diligent in what we do. We want to live righteous lives. And then we leave it in God's hands, right? Because sometimes things work out, sometimes they don't from our perspective, but we don't know what God is doing. We don't know His mind in all of these things. So we just leave it in His hands. Inconsistency. We talk, talked about this the last time we got together in uh, Ecclesiastes, that some things in this world are just inconsistent with how we would expect them to go. But experience will tell us that that's, that's pretty much this life. You remember um, of Mice and Men, the, the story by John Steinbeck. So it came from this poem by Robert Burns, the, the line, and it's in the seventh stanza of the poem says, But mousy, you are not alone. Improving foresight may be vain. The best laid schemes of mice and men go often astray and leave us nothing but grief and pain for promised joy. In the poem, the poor mouse's nest was destroyed by a man plowing the field. All the mouse's hard work, all his planning went awry. And sometimes we can feel like that, right? Sometimes that's how life goes. But that shouldn't prevent us from planning and trying our best and working hard. And then some outside factor sometimes might come in and throw our plans up in the air. But you know what? It's all in God's hands. We always have to remember that. And God's plans are always perfect. In the last few verses here, Solomon goes on to summarize this story, whether it's true or not, there's, there's no way of really knowing, but summarize a story about a city which was going to be overtaken by an invading army, yet one poor, wise man came up with a plan to save the city. In verses 13 through 18, it says, This wisdom I have also seen under the sun, and it seemed great to me, there was a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came against it, besieged it, and built great snares around it. Now there was found in it a poor wise man, and by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that same poor man. Then I said, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. Words of the wise spoken quietly should be heard rather than the shout of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Sometimes the odds are stacked against us, right? There's no way that we're going to be victorious, yet God's hand is upon us. He sees us through. All things are possible with God. 
Never look at your circumstances. Never look at your situation and think, there's no way that I'm going to be able to be victorious in this. Remember that God has His hand upon you. Turn your faces before Him and ask Him to deliver you from whatever you're going through. He may just give you a victory that you'll never, you, you can't take credit for, that you know has to be God working in you. God's wisdom in our life can ter- turn defeat into victory. Although a wise man may not be remembered, the result of his wisdom will be remembered. Most times, when do we receive that wisdom? It's in those quiet times with the Lord, right? It says here in verse 17, words of the wise spoken quietly should be heard rather than the shout of the ruler of fools. In that still, small voice of the Lord speaking wisdom into our lives, never knowing how He may work it out. Right? But putting our faith in Him. Putting our trust in Him. And we all experience things that we never think that we'll get through. But we're all prob- we all probably have a testimony that God's taken us through stuff. And we give Him that glory. And we continue to seek Him in those quiet times. Seek Him. Seek Him through His Word. Ask for wisdom. The Bible says if we ask for wisdom, He's going to give it to us. Ask for the wisdom to do whatever you feel the Lord's showing you to do. And ask for the wisdom to get through those difficult times that you never think that you'll be able to get through. Because He can take you through it. Amen? You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfield's by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.